to really become Web3, you need to have a decentralized and you need to have a, a good token tokenomics, a good business model, and you need to have NFTs uh, also as- Welcome to the Early Advantage Green Studio Curtain with some uh, paraphernalia in the background addition. Uh, I have been on a kick, as you may know, to unpack Web3. What is it? How can you invest? It's this big, hot thing, at least among certain circles. Um, but like, what is it tangibly? This week, I interview Vivi Lin, who's a partner at Octopus Network. This is a Web3 company. And what I like about Vivi is she really breaks down uh, Web3 in terms of tangible examples, like what what it is versus, let's say, some you know Dogecoin uh, type of vague, fuzzy thing that that is just sort of an ephemeral or maybe an art type of value, right? And not the eye of the beholder only without something that's pegged to true economics. Because as a dyed-in-the-wool long-term fundamental investor myself, I only want to invest in something that has long-term actual economics. So. If you think like that, or if you think almost like that, I think you'll enjoy this interview. Uh, and as always, we have Brian Christopher with his trusty Bloomberg screen of the week with some stocks that you may want to take a look at or add to your watch list. Let's get to the show. Should you invest in crypto now or should you wait? And let me say that differently. I tend to think that people who have money in crypto now, like myself, I have a little bit of Bitcoin, either we're going to be geniuses later on or we're going to be really stupid and nothing in the middle. And joining me, to help unpack this question, not just the investing question, but really what is, not just what is crypto, what is Web3? Web3 is this buzzword that is everywhere. And if you've been reading my stuff, you know that I'm on this mission to, to figure out what it is in the first place because it's hot, people are investing in it, but like, what is it? Um, joining me though, joining me to help unpack this is Vivi Lin. She is a partner at Octopus Network and she describes herself as a Web3 advocate. So basically the perfect person to have for this interview. Vivi, thank you very much for joining us today. Hi, James. Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure, and it's our, our pleasure to have you. Uh, how did you get into crypto? How did you get into Web3? Oh, my God. Um, this is a really good question. Where should I start? It actually um, dated back in 2011 when I just started off as a young reporter for Reuters Financial TV. And if you remember, Bitcoin at that time went through 100x from $0.3 to $30. And uh, people in the newsroom were talking about it. And I still remember reading this article from Wire magazine titled The Rise and Fall of Bitcoin. And so that was really the first time I heard about Bitcoin and crypto. And coincidentally, my boyfriend at that time, who is um, an, arc, an IT guy, an IT architect, and he asked me whether we should buy some Bitcoin. And he really heard some cool stuff uh, from his friends at the forums. And, but I didn't, understand, I didn't understand anything about it. And so I didn't get involved you know, how much I wish I had. Uh, but fast forward to 2017, which is the previous bull market. And I already moved to Silicon Valley and started my own show, uh, Vivina Valley, in which I interview a lot of entrepreneurs. Vivina Valley, innovation. I like the sound of that. It's a good name. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And so I came across many people um, in, 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 in the Bay Area quitting their jobs from Facebook or Google and to start their crypto projects. So that is how I really, you know, pay attention to the space. And after I interviewed some major crypto players, I got an invitation to be the global partner for one of uh, the biggest Chinese crypto media, which is equivalent to CoinDesk uh, for China, to help them with their coverage and to win their brand um, global. So that is how I went down the rabbit hole ever since. 
So fast forward to today, I have been through uh, the bull and bear markets, and now I've been working with crypto startups um, as partner, like you mentioned, like such as for Octopus Network, and also advisor and investor. And so the more I understand the space, um, the more faith I have about Web3 and crypto. That's a bold statement. And it's not, I mean, crypto has been a wild ride. It's been a, a big roller coaster. And it's from, from starting in 2011, it seems like you've basically been on that entire roller coaster. And that, that's, that's certainly impressive. And you've probably made a lot more money than I have in crypto. <laughs> um, crypto oh my God, I have so many bloody stories. Maybe we save it for some next time. Yeah. These stories always make good media. So, so hopefully there is a next time. Um, crypto has made people billionaires. It's also made people broke. Uh, it's it's been billed as this, as this technologically safe thing, as an uncorrelated asset. But then, on the other hand, it often behaves like a meme stock. Crypto has crashed so far this year. It's up a little bit lately, actually. But uh, would you say the crash has wiped out? Uh, let me let me back up. I think a lot of people they know it's been volatile. They know everything I've been saying. You know, it's 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 been great. It's been bad. It's been all things to all people in some ways. But did that crash wipe out the dumb money? as people would call it, the people who were just buying because other people were buying. And is it just the smart money left? Or do you think there's more pain to happen? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. The market sell off. I mean, you need to have a strong heart of uh, being in crypto, right? So the ups and downs is like 10 times or like many times more than the traditional stock market. Um, but yeah, if you look at the on-chain data, and I think that's the beauty of a blockchain because a lot of data are transparent. So we can see that many smart money continue to enter the space. Now, like just recently, uh, BlackRock, for example, recently partnered with Coinbase to make it easier for institutional investors to manage and trade Bitcoin. And also another hedge fund, uh, Brevin Howard, also announced their $1 billion crypto fund. So, and, and also a lot of VCs that I know, um, that I've been talking to are really taking a long-term view on crypto. So they're, they're really going beyond the market cycles. So, um, so I'm pretty confident that institutional adoption will pick up, but obviously um, the, the individual investors, the retails, um, they would follow, uh, but given the market condition, you know, like we are really in, very deep in the bear market right now. And uh, we are probably entering a recession. So um, this is really not a good environment, even for crypto and for stock, for the whole stock market, for financial market, right? But I think if we take a longer term, longer view, um, once the institutional adoption pick up and it will also attract more retail investors into the space. So I think if we have a longer term view, um, that once the market condition improves, I, I think we'll see much more um, retail investors coming back. Yeah, if you if you look at what people like Sam Bankman you know, are saying, uh, he thinks crypto could go up 10x with institutional adoption. It would seem, and we're recording this, by the way, uh, not yeah. long after the Ethereum merge, and without getting yeah. too technical, uh, that's something that reduces energy by 99.95%. Um, previously, Bitcoin Bitcoin mining uses, uh, as if it were a country, it would be the 34th largest country in terms of electricity usage. So that's huge. And Ethereum's moving to what's called uh, a proof of stake uh, uh, protocol, reduces the energy usage. And B, it also get because instead of, of validating transactions with uh, computer work, 
people people are validating them by just putting money into uh, Ethereum. And presumably that gives like a bond-like yield, which is something that institutions might like. So A, they'll like from an ESG perspective, it's more green. B, they'll like that they can get, you know, 4% or 5%, whatever the number is, yield in terms of, the yield is in more Ethereum, it's not a cash yield, but those are two attractive things. It seems like though, that's maybe eh, 15 or 20% of what institutions need to really get on board. And the remaining 80%, would be clearer regulations because in general across the world, crypto regulations are still very new. Um, would you agree with that, first of all? And, and second, if you do agree, what kind of time frame might we be looking at? You mean for the for the institutional adoption to happen? Um, yeah, I think you're something I think like a five-year right thing, be, a two-year thing. Go ahead. It's hard to say, it's hard to predict. The thing, the thing is crypto is developing very fast. And um, I totally agree with you. Regulation is a big part of it. And if you look at the big, if you look at all the moves, like, um, like SEC is actually US is embracing, if you take the global view, right, like US is embracing regulations and a lot of crypto funds like Coindesk, uh, Coinbase, and um, the big ones, based in the US and, and they are they also express um, even even um, Binance also, um, they, they have always been saying that they're happy to collaborate with governments and to go with a compliance. Um, so I, I think that is like really a big area that everyone is looking at because it's um, it matters even though um, crypto, a big part of crypto is about decentralization, but people are not completely decentralized. If you look at the war between Russia and, and Ukraine and how the impact on on the uh, crypto space, you, you, we're nowhere near decentralized. Absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I'm, I mean, this is an idea, right? So it's a good idea to have the um, idealization to have to go towards the direction of decentralization. But while we still live in this re re realistic world, so I think how to coexist with the authorities, with governments, with regulations is is definitely one of the big um, topics that the crypto space needs to tackle. And so that's that's why you see these big players, they they are hiring uh, former SEC or you know the regulators to to come and work with them as advisors because and they're they're really looking for some middle ground there and to see how to to make it work. And I think it's a very smart move for the US to embrace and also to embrace the crypto um, to make sure that really Web3, the innovation and everything um, could still like happen. U.S. still take the upper hand in 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 the space. So um, it's really hard to predict. But I think the trend is happening. We're we're seeing you know like 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 like, like we talk about right smart money from Wall Street and the the brightest might from Silicon Valley and the VCs. They're all pulling their money in, even though the proportion is still very small. But but I mean the. The potential is there. And if you look at the international institutions, and, and there's a statistic that I think, um, well, I, 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 I don't have the exact statistics right now. I could, I could double check, but, um, but the thing is you, you, you need to look where the direction is going, right? So, so you can't just look at right now because we're still at a very early stage. So if each um, listed companies like, like, like for example, Tesla announced that they um, they were holding Bitcoin last year, and then it, it had a, a big boost on on the prices and everything, right? So, so at, at that time there was a discussion if 
like even one, even um, five percent or one or two percent, uh, each listed company can just allocate some of their fund um, to crypto. It will be a big boost on the market cap already. So I think I think the trend is happening, and exactly like you said, after the merger and if like when Ethereum becomes greener and everything, and that just gave that just gave people more um, motivation to enter the space. So from just from stepping back perspective, the institutional adoption, you know, whether it's investors or corporate treasuries like Tesla did, and they backed away from that, but they did do it for a while. That seems like a really positive catalyst. Uh, then the other side, though, uh, we have something that I, I like to talk about a lot. And my, my listeners are probably sick of me saying this, but in the U.S., I think uh, we've had something like 2,000 car companies come and go. In the 1930s, I think we had uh, more than 200 at the same time. So in other words, whenever you have a new, and in the 1990s, we had hundreds or maybe a thousand or more e-commerce platforms. And now we have like four car companies. Now we have Amazon and eBay. There's this like uh, uh, a flush of new companies whenever there's a new like industry. And then there's a massive consolidation to just a few yeah. winners. Um, I heard that there are more than 17,000 coins right now. I'm going to guess that, that you would agree that that number is going to come way down. Um, do you have any rough idea of what it will come down to, number one? And second, like for people investing in crypto, is literally everything a coin? Like, is that the only the channel or a coin or a fund that holds coins? Like, that's the main way to do it is my second question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's a very interesting question. So let's put it into perspective. If we compare it to um, the stock market, for example, uh, there are roughly uh, 35,000 companies listed on the largest stock exchanges worldwide. Mm -hmm. And the total market cap is around 100 trillion. So if we look at um, the crypto market in comparison, the market cap is around 1 trillion. So only 1% of the stock market. So you can see how small and how early it is right now, right? So I think we need to understand um, that, you know, whether we need these coins, that's the question, like the numbers. So numbers actually don't matter because in essence, it's a question about the real use cases and applications, right? What is behind the coins is actually, is, is like what, what is behind one um, share, right? It's one company. So whether the company has value or not, so we need to focus on whether those coins, the, the startups really have values. So it's about, um, it's about, whether the product is good enough, whether people are using it and whether it's creating real values. So if a coin is listed only for the sake of trading, it's definitely pure speculation. You issue coins, you trade them, but there's nothing underneath. And, and that obviously is uh, just a numbers game. And, and it has really, we don't, we don't need them. And, but if a coin represents a real application and it has like, it's royal users and everything. And the token is functional. So the more the merrier. So we can mm -hmm. we can imagine, you know, more, more, if more values underneath those companies, and it's a good thing for the space. So this is your first question. And the second, um the, what is the second question again? Oh, just you know, is every is the only way to invest in crypto is that in they're all or, oh. or in web. I mean, this is all into a coin, right? Everything in some way underneath a coin, right? Okay, yeah. So uh, how can basically individual investors uh, invest in crypto projects, right? Whether it's, it has to be a coin or 
or what else. And obviously, the most direct way is through buying the token, the coin uh, through the secondary market, right? So you can buy it in um, centralized exchanges like Coinbase, Binance, or decentralized ones. And it's, it's even more trickier, like um, Uniswap and all these different swaps and, and this the decentralized ones. Uh, but I think that is why... Um, this is also one of the big agenda that crypto people are, are pushing through the ETF, right? So the Bitcoin ETF and everything. So, um, so if if that is approved, that would have also helped with mass adoption. So it goes together with the adoption of institutional investors, and also goes together with the regulation. So I think it's it's, it's working in progress, uh, but I think. Some like, for example, Goldman Sachs and like like, like I mentioned, uh, BlackRock and all these hedge funds and and they're still working um, with crypto exchanges to come up with products that allow more people to buy and in a way that is regulated and safer for um, so that the uh, is is more protective um, than you just go to all this wild west of the crypto space. Uh, I mean, for for newcomers, and so so I think I think there's a lot of activities going on, uh, a lot of movements happening. So I, I think we are heading towards that uh, direction, but I'm not sure how long because it's really hard to predict. Could be super fast because the the space is moving so fast. Who would imagine um, Bitcoin prices? If, if you look at last year compared, now we're in a kind of a bearish market. But last year, when everything's so crazy, and a lot of things happen just faster than anyone could have imagined. I, I certainly agree with that. Uh, you said something earlier that I really liked. Uh, in the stock market, I often say that in the long run, stocks, it's almost impossible for a stock to trade too far away from the, the fundamental value that it adds to society. I mean, sometimes yeah. there are meme stocks, things get hot or things get overly cold. But if in the long run, a company is adding actual value to the world, uh, its price is going to go up. And, and it sounds like you're saying the same thing about crypto. Uh, in, exactly. in, I guess by extension, uh, what do you think in the next, I mean, there've been periods certainly in crypto's existence where it has destroyed more value than it has added and, and probably added more value than it destroyed. It's been up and down. Let's just say mm -hmm. over the next 10 years, uh, and I'm guessing I know the answer to this already, but I, I want to hear you say it anyway. <laughs> Do you think that crypto will, uh, in terms of contribution to society, relative yeah. to the actual investment money coming in, do you think it will add more value than than it destroys? Will it keep yeah. its promises? In other words, that's my question. Sure. Will it keep its promises? Yeah. Um, I definitely. Yeah. You know my answer. Obviously, I'm since I'm a Web three advocate, and I, the answer is definitely yes. Um, so if you look at the space, we need to take a also like put things into perspective. If we look at, um, if we travel back, right? So we look at the space five years ago, the market cap was just around $150 billion. And wow. now even after the market crash, it's, it's one trillion, oh, right? One trillion. So last yeah. year, yeah, it's, it's over one, one trillion. And last year it touched upon three trillion. So you can you can, you can can see how much, um, how, how much value or market cap like it, it, it created. So, um, so, like I said, a lot of activities are happening. People, if you, you need to follow the money, right? So the, the same way we see Wall Street pulling money in, we see Silicon Valley, like X16Z and a lot of those top VCs in, in Web2, they're also in, in Web3, like also like ARK, 
Kathy uh, Woods and all this really kind of uh, people in the in in the front line, and and they are very bullish in in crypto and um, and talents are, are going into the Web three space as well. So I think. I think definitely it, it will continue to create value because like like you said, right? So underneath is all about how we can create the value, the real applications and 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 the pioneers have to be there. So if the smartest people in the world are investing in the space, are working, are building in this space, definitely more values are, are going to be created. And we are already seeing uh, the, the good size. And obviously we're still at a very early stage. So um, so I think we just need to continue to bet on infrastructure need to be in, in place. Like the same with the internet um, web two era, right? So like we, we don't, as normal consumers, we don't, we don't, we don't need to know how those infrastructure works, but, but a lot of people are building it. And so we benefit from it the same way with web three. And um, so more applications emerge on top of that. And, and I think combining this all together, I think in 10 years, there will be uh, explosive growth in the space, probably in even like two or three years and, and or, or five years time. And this definitely um, a work in progress, and we are already in this very exciting transition. You're, you're making me want to invest more. Uh, <laughs> web three, so web web one just for for new people. That's basically just reading stuff on the web, the, yeah. you know, the base yeah. internet. Web 2.0 supposedly is kind of like the, the social media web dominated by Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You know these big platform companies. Um, yeah, Web three. Uh, and there's a separate term, Web 3.0, which some people think is is a different thing, um, which I won't even get into. But uh, Web 3 has been criticized because there are many different definitions floating around. And yeah. at least there are some bad actors or maybe not bad actors, just confused actors hoping to benefit from the hype of, of whatever you know the Web 3 is going to be. Uh, I'd like to hear you explain it. What is Web 3 uh, in a nutshell? Yeah, I think you explained it very well about web one, read, web two, read and write, interact. Um, and then web three, on top of all that, um, it adds the um, ownership, the layer of ownership, right? So in web two, we don't own our data. You know, data is the new gold and the data is owned by the big companies. But in web three, uh, because of the nature of blockchain technology and uh, the nature of decentralization, and NFTs and all of this are making digital products, digital stuff, um, the property rights possible for individuals. So we owned our own data. And I think that makes a, the fundamental difference. So a lot of um, new business models could emerge from that because the fact that we, we own our digital data and then um, giving the right rights back to real users. So for example, um, you know, as a creator, now you you truly owned your own product. But obviously, there's a lot of things needs to be done. Like infrastructure needs to be in in, the, in place because of the um, the storage and the whole business model still need to to be tested. But that's the direction. And um, I think if you couple, so in short, Web three is about ownership. And if you couple that with decentralization, NFTs, tokenomics, and you, you basically you are seeing a new um, paradigm shift. 
is is Web three by by definition uh, also involving a blockchain, like or or they they separate? Yes, it 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 involves blockchain. So it's blockchain technology, but it's not only that because blockchain technology is just a technology, right? So like the government can use it. Uh, we can we can talk about that later. I mean like. Web2 companies can use that as well. It doesn't have to be centralized or decentralized. It's just uh, like kind of um, an accounting. Basically, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, a, a tool. Um, but you to really become Web3, you need to have a decentralized and you need to have a, a good token tokenomics, a good business model. And you need to have NFTs uh, also as a tool to make, to make things like more uh, decentralized, more secure, more scalable. I think you partly answered my next question, but but I'd like to, to hear a little bit more. If I gave you two buckets and mm -hmm. said, just conceptually, maybe without naming names, you could name names if you want to, but you got Web3 companies out there in the world. Uh, what kind of companies would you put into the loser bucket? And what kind of companies would you put into the winner bucket? And obviously, uh, Octopus Network, because it has you and you seem to know what you're doing, I'm guessing you're going to say that's going to be a winner. Uh, I'd like to know why. Why do you think uh, your company in particular is, is going to prosper? But, but before yeah, so, that, maybe broad categories, like who's going to win, who's going to lose? Uh -huh. Yeah, so I think it's interesting. Um, I know that we in we, we talk about, like, I covered the financial markets in, you know, like the traditional... <laughs> financial markets for Reuters for, for many years. And I know that we need to have this analogy of winners and losers, but I think personally, I don't see it as a zero sum game. It doesn't mean that web two or web threes are necessarily kind of enemies and and the two, two camps, something like that. Um, it, it's not a situation of having one or another black or white. And I really think that we'll see the transition of web two and web three um, gonna coexist for a long time. So. Um, so that said, there's a lot of opportunities and room to bridge the two gap. So back to the winners and losers um, analogy. So those who could make the best of the situation, for example, um, like you said, like the, the infrastructure, like Octopus Network that I'm, I'm working for, um, which is a Web3 infrastructure. So it empowers applications, projects with real use cases. So we build, we, we build um, a blockchain for each application. So we call it app chain. Um, I don't want to get into too, too technical about it, but the idea is we empower real applications to create real values. So I think companies like this will gonna survive because infrastructure needs to be in place um, for everything, right? So, so I think, um, and then also uh, companies that also web two companies that could embrace web three and, and make a shift in their technologies or strategies, and they could stay as winners as well. We, we are seeing a, a, a lot of them already. For example, um, like, like gaming, some gaming studios, they already either allocate a separate fund to invest in web three projects so that they could disrupt themselves um, so that they, they won't be left behind or some other branding companies or uh, some big, even, Retail companies, they, they're really using um, NFTs, for example, mm -hmm. either as a marketing hype or whatsoever. Like as long as you embrace the technology to, to show your audience, to show your users, you are you are uh, following the trend. And I think those were gonna be winners as well. And also web web three companies that that could um, disrupt web two 
in, in many ways, like gaming, for example, we're already seeing um, the, the new business model, like play to earn, this is game five. 1.0 and play and earn game five 2.0 and you know a lot of companies they could um, leverage or learn from web 2 for example in the user experience and in in the business like in, in a lot of ways and you could you could learn from the web 2 and tap into the web 2 kind of consumer base and those companies uh, are going to be winners as well I mean, losers obviously are going to be um, those who fail to adapt to the the trend, and you know, like like Charles Darwin's famous quote, right? It's not about it's not the most intellectual, not the strongest that survives is the one that's able to adapt to the changes, right? So I think to sum up, I think the winners will be those being in Web two or Web three that could that could uh, be flexible enough to adapt to the new new changes. Got it, so it's really not super complicated in the sense that obviously companies that don't adapt or that don't execute well, or companies yeah. that are fraudulent, they won't do well, but that's true anywhere. That's true in any any, yeah. any business setting. So it's, it's not really it's different. human nature. It's really yeah. human nature. If you look at crypto, it's the same it's the same way with stock markets, just because it's like faster, maybe with newer technology and with, with less regulation, but it's, it's human nature, right? And, and when you when you mentioned like real projects, just to, to make a little more clear, like you mentioned gaming, um, you know, I know for example, some NFTs are being sold by, by uh, musicians or music groups that you get a concert ticket, but then you might get like a smart contract that gives you a, some backstage party access, things like that. Uh, that's kind of what you mean are things that have an economic like substance even before we talk about web3 but then you can bring web3 into the picture and make that thing get done more easily or more efficiently or more securely something like that is that roughly correct yeah i think i think that's pretty correct um in a way that you need pretty to correct. have that's pretty yeah yeah i mean like like you need to have the real use cases and real users and then those stuff, but obviously there's some fundamental change and we are still at this early stage, for example. And, and if you continue to ask a lot of questions and sometimes we don't have all the answers yet, but I mean, we are working towards that direction, right? So like, for example, like NFT, you can, the idea is you, you own that digital, you have digital right for that uh, product forever, right? Because you have the provenance, you can prove the provenance, otherwise, all the digital copies are the same, and um, and you you're supposed to just own it forever, no matter what platforms. And and it's not like okay, I I I have this stuff built in by Tencent or by Facebook, and if Facebook changed the rule, I don't own it anymore. Or yeah. if they change the server, um, things things would change. So um, that means you can have it forever. So I think that makes a lot of uh, a huge difference, and then you can also prove that you can you can also um, write all the rules into the smart contract. So like the royalties, for example, if you're a creator, if I get twenty percent whenever someone buys some some stuff because it's on chain, like it's gonna be executed automatically no matter what. Um, but I don't I don't want to get into all these uh, technical details. For example, if they ask, oh, okay, so where do you store this? Um, the data on on which chain and everything, so that is a whole, a whole bunch of people sector, uh, working on that file uh, storage and security. Um, 
So, but I mean, things are happening. People are working towards that direction. Yeah, and that obviously has huge benefits. It, it does have some problems too. I mean, there are certain benefits to, to centralization there and, and, and we're seeing some of those, uh, hopefully they're just growing pains as the industry moves yeah. towards uh, yeah. a better more progress. Um, speaking of that, uh, let, let me cut back to a fundamental question. The mm-hmm. Central Bank of India, mm-hmm. the Central Bank mm-hmm. of Finland, think that, um, that, that I wanted to say private, but, but I think the better word is uh, decentralized cryptocurrencies like Bit- Bitcoin, like Ethereum, like all these other ones. Uh, they yeah. think they're going to die because central bank digital currencies are going to replace them. Obviously, China has been probably at the forefront of, of this, being very aggressive with the digital yuan. Um, U.S. And, and most many other countries are not there yet. Uh, are those central bank? I'm guessing you're going to think those central bankers are, are not correct, that they're worried too much. But what kind? maybe I'm wrong. What kind of a risk do central bank digital currencies play to these um, independent cryptocurrencies? Um, okay, so so first of all, I, w- I would like to kind of clarify some of the concepts there, like CBDCs and all these digital uh, currencies that build on, actually, they are private blockchain because they're not public, they're centralized. So all this money that issued by central banks, they have, they are no, um, they are no different than fiat. So they they are still fiat because they are they're issued by the central government, they control by the central government, right? So I think we're talking about two different things. And even the, the even the stable coin, even the stable coin um, or stable coins are cryptocurrencies, but CBDCs are not stable coined. And for example, um, stable coin like Tether, for example, they are they are backed some like like Tether. Um, USDC, USDT, for example, they are backed by dollar reserves and they are packed to dollar one-to-one, but they are not the same as CBDCs. So um, I think we're just talking about two very different things there, but whether um, CBDCs or China's digital yuan would have an impact or killed um, Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies, I, I don't think so because they're very different use 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 cases and and I think you just you can think about digital uh, CBDCs as another digital money issue another form of fiat so people who, who use them and people who use cryptos or like invest in cryptos are completely very different usage and and groups. That's a great point. So I, I, I think I think two, I think I think um, they would coexist. I don't think that one would kill the one would kill another, but obviously uh, there will be some kind of um, synergy. Like I said, like for example, like stablecoin, they are backed. They are backed by some. For example, they choose dollar, right? Backed by dollar reserves, and then they are packed to dollar. So I think it's still a kind of reflection of how the real, the financial, the traditional financial world works. And um, it's all about, I think one thing interesting about crypto is, I think it, it also goes back to money, right? If you think, what is money? Why this piece of paper, we think that it has value. It's all about consensus, but it takes a lot of things. It's a big topic. Why? Why do we have the consensus on this, not that, right? Why do we agree that we want to pack the value on dollar? not other currencies, yeah. right? So so this is a, a 
because you, you obviously you have the economic power, you have the military, you have everything. But if you don't have that, if it's decentralized and you need to also, um, we are still humans, right? So like, it's very, it's a very interesting topic. But I mean, back to the point, I think that cryptocurrencies and uh, stable coins, including stable coins and CBDCs were gonna coexist. That's a great answer I, you know, that, that I didn't think about it that way until you explained it, that CBDCs, they do share some of the technological benefits of cryptocurrencies, but they're still controlled by, by central banks. And a large part of the reason people use cryptocurrencies is to use a currency that is not controlled by, by a central bank. So they could never, uh, they can never uh, replicate each other perfectly or, or replace each other. Yeah. It's a different substance. Um, just quickly. Two yeah. And, and let me give you an, let me also give you an example. For example, like central banks, like fiat or CBDCs, if they want to continue to print money, they can do that, right? So because it's control, it's, it's controlled by the government. But if you have a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrencies, a lot of the rules are written in smart contracts that cannot be reversed. Like if say the numbers, if we just have a cap and that's it. And if we're saying like, this is the use case for those currencies and that's it, you can't just like revo revoke um, that decision. So also it, it gives people uh, confidence and and when, for example, when inflation goes really high, when um, some fiat are de depreciating and that is why uh, a lot of money would go into um, save cryptos, like trusted cryptos, like Bitcoins, and because people think that it has the um, storage of value, like gold. Yeah, exactly. And obviously, central banks, you know, people trust them too. So, so the fiat sometimes is safer also, but we'll see uh, in yeah. the future, maybe it'll trend the other way. Two quick questions. Uh, you may not have an opinion, but Bitcoin versus Ethereum in, in five years, do you have a winner? Um, I also think that, you know, except for some maximalists that might argue about which crypto would win. Um, Bitcoin and Ethereum obviously are two, uh, two biggest cryptocurrencies, right? So I, I, I think for me, they are, they are not like competitors and because they serve very different purposes. And Bitcoin is like, like as a digital gold. So think of it as a storage of value. You wouldn't use it for trading. You wouldn't use it for day-to-day -day usage, buy a coffee or anything, but probably you put your money in it thinking that it would appreciate in time and very safe, right? So, and then, but Ethereum after, especially after the merger, um, I think it, it would have much more use cases. It's like the hub for crypto applications, right? It has altogether like $60 billion market cap of crypto exchanges, lending companies, NFT marketplaces, and all the other applications. But not only Ethereum, there are a lot of other layer ones um, protocols out there doing something similar as well. So. Now I think it's going to be more scalable. More people would 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 train, but it it won't change the. I think it won't change the status of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is still like gold, and Ethereum and all the other layer ones. If you believe in multi chain, multi chain ecosystem, which I do, um, I think they would gonna uh, thrive and 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 bloom uh, with more applications. So I don't I don't think there will be a winner loser. I don't think it's a winner loser kind of um, scenario, but rather like um, they work very well together. If you look at the correlation, if Bitcoin prices drop, Ethereum would drop too. It's very rare that one one is up, one is down. So they really go hang hand in hand, and, and I think the trend will continue this way. Last question. Last question. If someone is is watching this and is interested in, in learning more about either 
uh, Web3 or cryptocurrency in general, uh, where would you direct them? How should they begin their study? Wow. Okay. So um, it's not a financial advice or anything, right? So this is really just for um, for sharing uh, some of the kind of experience and expertise and, and all that. Um, I really think that um, we need to have an open mind in crypto and Web3 because something really new. And I really like uh, the name of your show, Early Advantage, right? So anyone who's early enough to be in the space will have the early advantage. So that requires us to, um, to have an open mind and to learn new things uh, and to read, to embrace the new things and, and, and don't let our past kind of um, buyers get in, in the way. Um, so that said, because it's a wild west out there. So we really need to be cautious and there's definitely a lot of um, scams and hype. So we need to go beyond the hype and um, and fear and all that. So it's like greed and, and fear, right? So how do we do that? We really just need to um, follow the trend and watch shows like your shows and follow what the experts in the areas are, are doing. And if you are really into investing, um, if you don't have the savvy kind of um, information or tools like the, the quants or hedge funds and, and just don't do something crazy, like um, don't hedge, but just focus on the big fundamentals and really see what are the, the values those those coins or projects are creating. So I think, for example, Ethereum, Bitcoin, and the layer ones, um, they're really already showing great tractions, building really good applications, and people are, are going to the space and creating a lot of value, uh, like gaming as well. Like a lot of people are, um, especially globally, uh, if you see Southeast Asia and a lot of those places, are, um, you see explosive numbers of people playing those games and creating values. Um, so, so I think it's just really about seeing the fundamentals, but be cautious. Step-by-step, step, learning one step at a time, always good advice for, for crypto, for anything else in investing, uh, for that matter. Uh, Vivi Lin, partner at Octopus Network, thank you very much for joining us. And thanks to you guys for watching at home. Thank you, James. Thank you, everyone. Hi there. I'm Brian Christopher. I'm the editor of Follow the Money at South Bank Research. And in these videos, we take a theme and we run with it. We can get the themes from any number of sources. Today, we're going to let some pictures guide us. These pictures show that sometimes you want to follow stocks that are doing certain things. And they don't always have to be rising in price. It's tough to buy low when something's expensive. CF Industries, ticker CF in the U.S., makes fertilizer. But the reason I'm highlighting this stock is because from the end of 2011 to the third quarter of 2015, CF bought back more than 35% of its shares. The yellow line in this chart is shares outstanding. You can see the big decrease in share count while CF's free cash flow yield in pink was high. Free cash flow yield equals a company's free cash flow, which is cash from operations minus capital expenditures, divided by its market cap. 
the higher it is, the better. Companies that can retain a lot of cash after sales have financial flexibility. They can use those funds to pay dividends, pay down debt, and buy back shares. A huge decrease in CF's share count about a decade ago set the stage for shares to rise. I know because I recommended shares to my subscribers at the time. CF's, CF's cash balance has been rising. It increased its dividend payout by 33% in April, and its debt is falling. And you already saw its share count. Shares bottomed with COVID, and today you can see free cash flow is up again. The war in Ukraine has pushed fertilizer prices higher. CF has continued to buy back shares when cash is strong. Another example with a picture that fits our thesis is Apple, ticker AAPL in the States. Apple has been even more consistent than CF, mainly because it's a tech company with sought-after products. Apple began buying back shares aggressively at the end of 2012. Since then, it has cut its share count from $26 billion to just more than $16 billion. It's a $2.4 trillion company, and when you spread that value over 39% less shares, you can see how the per share value rises. The other thing that happens when a company buys back shares is it can spend less on dividends. Follow me here. In its fiscal year, ended September 2013, Apple paid out $10.5 billion in dividends. In the year ended September 2021, that number was $14.4 billion. Its total dividend payments rose about 37%. But Apple's dividend is about two and a half times greater per share than it was at the start of the period. This can happen, meaning Apple can pay more per share because its share count is down. To some extent, what I'm about to tell you is obvious, but it's critical. If a company uses its excess cash flow to buy back shares at prices that are less than its future price, things will work out well for them. That's what Apple did. Remember, it began buying back shares at the end of 2012. As an investor, it's your job to assess how good of a deal a buyback is. Companies that buy back shares just for the purpose of doing it may not create value. You have to buy low to make share repurchases beneficial to shareholders. Now let's consider a couple potential examples. Third Point Investors Limited, ticker TPOU in London, is a closed-end investment company run by hedge fund manager Dan Loeb. Loeb is well known in the investment space, and London's LCH Investments just named him to their list of the world's greatest money managers for the first time. The rankings calculate how much investors earn from their funds during the prior year and since the fund opened. Per LCH, Loeb's fund has made nearly $19 billion for its owners since it launched in 1995. In spite of that success, though, Third Point Investors trades at a more than 15% discount to its net asset value. As you can see, it's common for Third Point to trade at a discount. 
This discount is reflected by the red shading in this chart. Its current discount is a bit greater than its 10-year average, meaning shares are cheaper than average. But in a market like this, buying things that are on sale is a good idea. Investors don't want to overspend. Value becomes sexy again when the market is expensive. As you can see here, Loeb agrees with that logic, and he sees value in his own shares. He's been buying back a lot of them over the years. This hasn't been the perfect trade. Third Point Investors is down this year, but it has outperformed the MSCI World Index over the past decade. And as we've seen in our other examples, sometimes buying back shares is a precursor to upside. Every time Loeb buys back shares at a discount to their true value, it increases net asset value. It's like buying back a pound for 85 pence, literally. Another idea for you is Seoul-based Magnetchip Semiconductor, that's ticker MX in the States. Its market cap is down of late, as you can see in the gray line on this chart, but I believe that's okay. The main reason for it is because a Chinese private equity firm failed to receive approval to acquire Magnetchip. Shares are down since that happened last December. There's interest from other parties though, including Bain Capital and Korea's LX Group, but terms haven't been finalized. This M&A concept alone is intriguing. Plus, as you can see, the yellow share count line is down and Magnachip just increased its buyback program. It bought back $37.5 million under the current program and has authorized another $50 million of repurchases on top of that. Free cash flow yield has been strong as well. This name is worth keeping your eye on. As always, we have to consider the risks to these trades. Creating a wish list is just that. It's a list, a place to start. And this is a tough market. Central banks remain focused on raising rates to fight inflation. That provides a headwind to many stocks. But if you can find companies that are generating cash and using it wisely, you can still win. That's the importance of continuing to own some stocks. Stocks like CF and Apple generated solid per share value by buying their own shares when they were down in price. For our perspective ideas, Third Point Investors, TPOU in London, is on sale. It trades for less than the value of its holdings. Back in 2014 and 2015, there was no or only a small discount for this name. And Magnachip may literally be for sale. And even if they don't sell, management sees value there and is buying back shares. It's taking advantage of this market to generate per share value like our other examples. To be clear though, you have to be careful out there. Sometimes it can take a while for the value to manifest itself in the form of a rising share price. But patience is a virtue, especially in this market. Thank you.